Welcome to the program. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, your host, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. Let me take a moment, friends, if I may, today to wish my law partner and uh, good friend Ash Watkins a very happy birthday. Ash, of course, being the uh, other better half of Sam and Ash law firm here in town, of which I am the Sam. And um, I don't know what I could say today to, uh, to Miss Ash other than it is a joy uh, to work with you every day and to uh, build this business, um, to uh, make this dream that we kind of started talking about in, in law school when we met and thought, how do we deliver the best possible law firm uh, and how do we do it? How do we go around, uh, go about doing it? And so we, we, you know, we, a lot of conversations, a lot of time, a lot of effort went into that. And, and now we are, you know, three years in and, and, uh, everything is happening just as we'd hoped. So Ash, happy birthday. I hope Rocky is treating you great. And, uh, we all love you and appreciate you and working with you is an absolute joy and an honor of a lifetime. Now, I apologize, friends. Yesterday, a little bit of housekeeping here. I hoped to do a live show, but I went in for a small, uh, regular checkup. I go for these endoscopies. So they, you know, they put you under for that. And I, thinking I'm invincible, believed I would be at 100% come 2 p.m. This thing was in the morning. Well, I think anyone that's been under, it's been a while since I've had one of these, so I think about 10 years. And so I, I get brought out of the, the stupor of being uh, put under, uh, put to sleep for the, uh, for the procedure. And that combined with having the, the thing down my throat, you can still hear a little rasp in my voice. It's just not at 100%. So forgive me yesterday. I had to take the afternoon off. And producer Robbie, thank you for curating a great replay show, which of course got me a bunch of angry uh, emails, which I appreciate deeply. Thank you all for listening. Now, uh, let's get to it and catch up on what's going on today. Because I'll tell you, uh, very interestingly, there seems to be a, well, there seems to be at least a, a mood shift or a wind shift uh, going into the midterm elections. We just had uh, last night air the uh, gubernatorial debate between uh, Sisolak and Joe Lombardo. That's a big race that we're following here in Nevada. Uh, that also, I think, uh, combined with an interesting piece, I think this was in the New York Times, uh, that, and this is the title of it, uh, just yesterday, Democrats' troubles in Nevada are a microcosm of nationwide headwinds. Citing inflation and a rocky economy, Republicans are bolstered in their races against incumbent Democrats, motivating an electorate that simply wants change. Now, I remember one, I think, by the way, sorry, I think this is in the Washington Post, the other story, our political wins blowing again in Republicans' favors a couple days ago from the New York Times, and uh, this by Nate Cohen. So what you have is, 
you've got mainstream media right now opining that it, there's there's a wind tide tide shift in favor of the GOP. I am I'm seeing some of that, of course, bear out in the polls. I'm always skeptical uh, when the mainstream media puts these stories out right on the eve of the election, because I think that you know one thing that Republican voters can't do is fall asleep at the wheel and not show up. It is. For example, here in Nevada, it is 100% a who shows up to vote election. What are our numbers, right? That's what it matters, right? Who's, we've got about, you know, out of 100 people, uh, you have, let's say, 33 that are registered Republican, about 34 that are registered Democrat, 35 registered Democrat. The rest are unaffiliated. Of those unaffiliated voters, you have to realize that two-thirds are actually secretly affiliated and they figured this out so of the you know you hear people talking about look at how great nevada is look at all these independents that we have it's the largest constituency group at around 40 percent you go well well look the the fine print of that is that a third are are basically silent republicans that don't want to be on record as being republican a third of them are silent democrats same reason and the rest are just lost. They are wandering and they are the ones that ultimately can decide the race, but it's also just a who shows up to vote, right? So that's critical. And in some of these races, for example, congressional races that are tight here in the Valley, making sure you vote is essential. So I see some of these stories here as we get closer to the election that may give Republicans a false sense of calm, a false sense that victory is just around the corner as uh, perhaps being designed to tilt the race in favor of, you know, in favor of the other side. So you got to be very careful about this. But the fact remains, the gas prices now are ticking up again. Crime nationally, we are watching this. Every community is terrified of the prospect of becoming the next Los Angeles, the next New York City, the next, well, you fill in the blank, Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland. You see the clips, because we're here locally, we don't obviously get local television in, in LA, but you see the clips. There was a heartbreaking clip just earlier, what was this? Yeah, over the weekend. Coming out of LA, there was a store owner whose small business survived the pandemic. And she is in tears, almost on the brink of breaking down, telling the reporter how the homeless have taken over a parking lot, are scaring away customers, are keeping people at bay, right? Nobody wants to walk into a parking lot where a bunch of deranged, drugged out, crazy people are waving knives, are starting campfires, are shooting up, taking drugs in plain sight. And the, the story shows how a couple of police officers respond to this person, this transient trespassing. And the store owner begging the police to do something to remove her. And they can they they go there, they try to reason with the uh, with the with the completely insane, right, drugged out uh, trespasser and ultimately leave without taking her into custody or successfully removing her from the property. And, you know, we are all looking at that, whether that is something that is occurring in our community or not. 
And here in Las Vegas, we do have this, this problem, of course, we for now have a city and a county determined to keep our streets in as best of condition as they possibly can be. I, I mean, again, they've got a long way to go, but it's, you know, we're not LA. But I think every community, even in communities where it's not happening, they're looking at this type of thing and they're seeing it on social media and they're, they're, they're I mean, we're all in solidarity, right? That this is, that this is the democratic utopia that, that, you know, the left continues to talk to us about ad nauseum. It's not what we want. We want our small businesses to be thriving. We want streets that we can walk on. We want homes that we feel safe in. We don't want criminals caught and released the same day with no cash bail. We want murderers, child molesters. We want, you know, rapists. We want violent offenders to go away for forever. Some of us are very okay with the death penalty. I mean, we, we like the ultimate punishment for the ultimate crimes. And so I think, again, it, it doesn't test when we look at all the polls, the, the criminal side of this doesn't test high, but I cannot help, be, I, I believe so strongly that it's an underreported concern because everybody is in the back of their minds frightened of the prospect of coming out and saying, you know what? I'm scared of the homeless people out in front of my office, in front of my home. I'm scared of crime. I, people don't want to admit it because there's a, a, a component to this that is so politically incorrect that, that folks don't want to touch it. But we are. Some of these cities in America are hanging by a thread, and we here in Las Vegas have to avoid it happening at all costs. And an open, porous border that allows, forget the people for a minute, right? Forget the humanitarian crisis created by Biden and his administration and allowing unfettered illegal immigration. Forget the, you know, set of sending aside that component of it. No doubt the flow of drugs, of fentanyl, other illicit substances across the border is at an all-time high, and it is not doing our conditions, our, our criminal conditions here on the streets, uh, any any favors. And by the way, you can some of this stuff is 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 absolutely insane, and we'll get into it more this week because you know we if you discover how the perverse incentives across this country actually encourage, believe it or not, encourage homeless the homeless to take drugs. There's a point system. There's a scale. We'll, we'll get into all of this. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. Literally, cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles giving points for drug use that allows for the homeless to qualify for benefits. They call it a, you know, it's a scale determined to, to, to decide need. And so the worse off you are, the more bad stuff you're doing, the greater the need. Well, you don't have to be a genius in psychology to realize that this kind of incentive is going to be is going to produce one result and that result is plaguing cities across the US and I, I just I come back to it I think as we get closer to the election people are deciding what really matters and as costs continue to soar as gas prices now going up in spite of Biden's promises as we see 
Things like, well, Kamala Harris talking about race being a decider for who gets aid in Florida after the hurricane. I think that people are done with this. I want to talk about that when I come back. Got to take a quick break. You're listening to The What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Sam Rajowski here on News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, your place for daily well, what do we call this? Common sense conservatism? That's what it is. I'm grateful to have you with us. So Kamala Harris uh, really stepped in it again. Mind you, she had had quite the week. What were some of her gaffes? Oh, she was in North Korea telling us that we have a strategic relationship with North Korea, of course, meaning South Korean Republic, um, not, not the North Korean People's Republic. Anyway, Small detail. Then she stood with binoculars uh, trying to look toward North Korea and had an army officer step up forward and tell her that it was um, a mere, what was it, 25 yards away? Ma'am. <laughs> and now, uh, in a, I, I think in a contradiction to every bit of, uh, of information put out by the Biden administration that's been playing, when it comes to the hurricane, has been playing very, um, well, we'll say balanced and middle of the road and looking to uh, appear, you know, nonpartisan, she comes out and starts talking about how she's believes that it's going to be uh, communities of color that are most impacted by extreme conditions. So we have to address this by, well, you guessed it, factoring race into hurricane relief. Here's Kamala Harris. Just the other day. It is our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and and impacted by by issues that are not of their own making. And, and so women. we absolutely. And so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. And if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those disparities. So basically, we have to consider race as a factor on giving money to people affected by the hurricane and address the inequity, right, that I guess hurricanes single out uh, minorities. Now, setting aside the dubious science and logic of her statements, the problem with this is, and folks, you just got to trust me on this. I think that minority groups across the country are growing themselves tired of this patronizing tone that the Democratic Party takes. You know, the fact is, we're all Americans. And there is nothing more humbling as Americans, unifying actually as well, as when you face a cataclysmic natural disaster that is indiscriminate 
in its path of destruction. These hurricanes, they wipe out multi-million dollar homes just as easily as they wipe out $80,000 houses. So this kind of race baiting in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of an event where people are coming together, where DeSantis is shining as an example of, of nonpartisanship, right? Here's a guy who was front and center on a, in, in all the partisan issues two weeks ago and is able to downshift, if you will, and adjust his tone to address the situation. Kamala's too stupid to be able to do that because all she has are these talking points. She's like one of those Woody dolls, you know, from Toy Story. You pull the string and out come five pre-recorded, you know, blurps. I think I made that word up, blurps, because that's what it sounds like. Now, as funny as, not funny, but it's maybe even encouraging is the mainstream media is panicking on the wake of this saying, you know, hey, listen, I don't think minorities are, are, are all that much behind the Democratic Party. And, and, and give you an example, here's CNN talking about black support for Democrats, looking at the data. This is, this is interesting. Take a look at Joe Biden's approval rating among black adults. If you go back to January to June of 2021, look how high it was. It's 87%. 87% basically matching what he got in the 2020 election. But look at that approval rating now in August and September of 2022. It's all the way down to 64%. Now, obviously, Joe Biden's approval rating with all Americans is down, but it's not down by anywhere near this amount. This 23-point drop among all Americans, it's only down about 10 to 15 points. So there is a disproportionate drop in Joe Biden's approval rating among African Americans. And I think that's kind of driving why you're seeing Democrats running for Congress getting a significantly lower margin than we're used to seeing. Yeah, and you know why it is? Because these communities of color, as you know, the vice president tells us, that are so downtrodden, they're feeling the brunt of the Biden economy the worst. I mean, let's be honest. You know, the upper middle class rich folk, you know, they're gonna, they, they can weather the storm better than the poorest Americans. And they're also sick and tired of being spoken down to. MSNBC sounded a similar alarm on Latino support for Democrats. Jose Diaz-Ballard speaking about this just earlier today. Across the Southwest, signs that Latino voters are shifting their focus to the issues instead of sticking with one political party. As I got older and, and smarter, I said, hey, this, this guy doesn't work for me. That's now backed up by a new NBC News Telemundo nationwide survey of Latino voters showing support for a Republican-controlled Congress jumped five points in just the past two years. Marisa Morentin lives in Phoenix, Arizona. How is it that you feel as a voter here? Uh, taken advantage of. Our poll found that the top issues for Latinos was actually the cost of living. We see that prices are through the roof and we want to know what people are going to do to help put that burden down. This is fascinating stuff. And by the way, I, I'm telling you, it, it's, it's because no matter your color, no matter your ethnic origin, no matter you know, what gender you are, what do we all have in common? We want an economy that works for us. 
We want to be able to do better next year than we're doing this year. We want our children, the next generation, to do better than we've done. We want upward mobility. The Democratic Party wants all of us to be victims. They want us to be beholden serfs to their largesse, giving away our money, your money. This is all, and it's backfiring on them. And I love to hear this. I got to take a quick break. I'm going to get to the big news today. The Elon Musk takeover bid for Twitter. There's a huge update on this. Fascinating. Don't go anywhere. I'll tell you all about it. Sam Rajofsky, The What's Right Show, continues after the news. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Your favorite cisgender radio host, Sam Rajovsky, reporting for duty. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Friends, grateful to be here with you today. I don't want to give you a see, I told you so, because, uh, you know, not everything's figured out yet. But news came in a couple hours ago that Elon Musk's attorneys over at Skadden big law firm, uh, international law firm, wrote a letter to the, well, to, to, the, to the opposition in that legal case. They wrote uh, to Twitter's lawyers, indicating that uh, the Musk entities and Musk himself were prepared to honor the original deal. Now, what that, eh, let me tell you, business-wise, what this means is th- that's basically the settlement and the result that Twitter legally was seeking, right? They didn't go to court to get money from Musk. They went to court to enforce the buy-sell agreement. So Musk said he would uh, honor all the original, you know, deal points that were in place. Uh, the, you know, it just basically says, and I'm, I'm looking at this, some legalese, but they notify uh, the attorneys uh, a Twitter attorney saying that the Musk parties intend to proceed to closing of the transaction contemplated by the April 25th merger agreement on the terms and subject to the conditions set forth therein pending receipt of proceeds of debt financing. So, in other words, this is a total victory for Twitter. That is how the mainstream media is going to run with it. Let me tell you the real scoop. <laughs> I mean, look, this is a, I, I said this to you earlier. This is a stall tactic. Number one, what has the market done in the last couple of days? It's rebounded wildly, right? 600 points today, I think 500, 400 yesterday. Uh, you know, big gains back in the market. Uh, you know, it, a guy like Musk to put together this type of financing, when the crash happened after he entered the agreement, there, there was a problem financing the deal. So Musk being Musk, he, it's, you know, so what? He paid his lawyers millions of dollars to stall this. And now the, the money's back. He's found a way to make the deal pencil, and he's going to go ahead and do it. 
And sometimes litigation, and I'll be perfectly honest, it's a, a common tactic in business. You, 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 you do go in and, and, and you, you hope to stall you know, enforcement actions or collection efforts simply for the, for the benefit of, of having time to, to put financing together or put money together or have receivables come in. So, you know, could this be another stall tactic? Yes, but it is so specific. The request is so straightforward um, that I, I, and it's, by the way, it's really a two paragraph letter. The, the second paragraph I'm not reading here is just uh, kind of some waiver language and, and saying, look, we're not admitting any liability, uh, no prejudice rights, right, blah, blah, blah. But we, we intend to, you know, we intend to comply if Twitter complies with their end of the deal. So uh, it seems to me that at this point, Musk is, um, and you know, tw Twitter, by the way, the, the price of the stock share has gone up. So now the deal, the deal actually pencils. So the, you know, now he's buying it for an amount that is less than what, you know, he is locked in to sell it at. And now, of course, the Twitter folks are gonna come back and say, well, listen, <laughs> you drove our stock price down. You, you know, vandalized our, our stock and then sent us on a, on a roller coaster and now only barely we're recovering. But they, they, that's a bad argument because the stock price is actually up. So, I, you know, I think, I think at this point the deal is, you know, going to proceed and, and happen. So just, we'll, just, we'll wait for the congrats on this. But, you know, I, I've, I've predicted this from the start that, that Musk would, would consummate the deal. Now let's move closer to home for a moment. Speaking of deals to be consummated, the uh, gubernatorial debate uh, that aired last night, this was an interesting deal. It was moderated, uh, a longtime journalist uh, here, John Ralston, uh, well, he's the CEO of the Nevada Independent, which is of course a, a left-wing publication. I'll say this, I think that it was as far as debates go, uh, he, you know, Ralston did a great job of going after Sisolak, which is what I did not expect. So one of my big take, my my big surprises from the debate, is that, you know, is that there was some some fire that was sent and some questions that were sent at Sisolak uh, in this that I did not necessarily expect. I expected it to be a a, a form that was more convenient to him. I think it frankly surprised Sisolak to be honest. Now, I'll say a couple of, of short responses to this because, you know, this is, this is all part of the story how the tide is shifting. Sisolak wanted to make this entire debate about abortion. And then he stepped in it because of course his, his mantra was he came into it very strongly proclaiming how he is the pro-choice candidate and he believes unequivocally in a woman's right to choose. Well, unequivocally means, you know, a woman has a right to terminate a per, you know, pregnancy whenever and wherever, right? I mean, that's what unequivocal means. We, I, I spoke about this this morning with Alan Stock. He's absolutely right. He said that. It's unequivocal. So then Ralston presses him on it. And we know, of course, Lombardo has been all over the map because Republicans are absolutely incoherent when it comes to abortion. They're terrified of the pro, the, the pro-life you know, ultra pro-life lobby, they, you know, they're beholden to them. And they don't understand that we're a country that is built on, on political compromises. And there is a very reasonable political compromise. Well, the compromise, of course, is that there is a cap 
on time for an abortion. So, you know, of course, if, if there is a rape, if there's incest or anything like that, you have, you have a period of weeks to get a legal abortion. But at some point, the state has a vested interest in a life that's inside the womb that is either, A, viable outside the womb, which to me is a no-brainer, right? Or very close to being viable. I've mentioned here that that's really the, the tact that Republicans should take. So understand, I am pro-life. It's me personally. I don't believe in abortion. But I, I understand that it's something that we need. And we need to live with. And what we need to do is compromise and come together. The idea that somebody's unequivocally for an abortion, say, for example, at 38 weeks, is absurd. So that's exactly where, where Sisolak got himself to. Being the true facilitator that he is, I am pro-abortion, I am pro-abortion, everything's great. And then what is he? Well, Ralston goes, well, wait, wait a minute. So like any time, like, 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 you know, uh, you know, lady's on the way to the hospital, mom's about to deliver and, you know, just grab applicable forceps and go, no, hell no unacceptable. And so then he backs off and he says something like, well, no, obviously not at 38 weeks. Well, then, then what are you? That was one of those moments where the, the entire Democratic Party right now is banking on the fact that they're going to win and coast into office on, on being pro-choice. Uh, pro, uh, but the problem with that is, is that is that America is not behind pro-choice 100% of the time leading up to delivery. We're just not. I've mentioned here many times before, what's France? France is 14 weeks. I mean, you know, the liberal French, they're so open-minded. You know, they're not uptight like us Americans, but they're fine with all this, right? So they, but they, they, have, they have limits. Now, the other part that here uh, kind of stuck out at me is Sisolak does not believe there is not even a modicum of fraud, election fraud. Now, <clears throat> let me clear my throat and address that for a moment. You cannot possibly believe that there's not a modicum of fraud. Again, he likes these words, modicum. Now, he was quoting Barbara uh, Sagovsky, who's the uh, Secretary of State here in Nevada, who's a Republican and, you know, somewhere made a statement of similar ilk. Uh, Sisolak defended the mail-in ballots that, um, you know, were sent to every registered voter. A lot of people don't update their residences, so you had stacks and stacks of ballots. If you lived in an apartment building, for example, you saw this firsthand, didn't you? Lying in the pile of, you know, of, of lost mail were, were a bunch of, you know, a bunch of ballots that weren't making their way to their intended targets. And of course, I'm, again, I'm an attorney in town and I'm, you know, put on this journalist hat when I'm, when I do the show and I, I had people come to me with, with photographs of this. I had people, I saw this, I heard the stories. People were going around paying money for these ballots. Why? What do you think? Was they using those coasters? Give me a break. Or not creating paper mache, you know, sculptures out of these things. They were buying them because they were going to use them. And I'm not even willing to say that it was one side or the other. Well, we think we knew, no, what side it was. But I, I but I'm just saying there was there was the idea that you could stick your head in the sand and go, oh, there's no fraud. 
means to me only one thing, and that means you're a perpetrator of that fraud. You well know that exactly what the consequences would be of putting out all these, you know, funny money ballots and sending them out all over the four corners of Nevada. So that's my, you know, my takeaway. He knows exactly what he did. Lombardo could be a lot stronger candidate. That's my other takeaway from this. He's all over the place. And, and the problem is, is he tries to be everything to everyone. People that do this frighten me. Um, yeah, and, and of course, don't get me wrong. I will vote uh, for, for Lombardo, right? I'm, 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 there's no way Sisolak has my vote. It's, it's a classic example, though, of voting for the, for the lesser of two evils or, or for the you know, better of two candidates, candidates, however you want to put it. But the fact is, he'll say something in private, you catch him on tape saying, you know, absolutely, here's how I feel on this issue, and then, then turn around and he's got a different public, you know, public position. This is terrible. You know, as a, as, a, as a human being, you have to know what you believe in. If you don't, you're unreliable. And as a general rule, people who say different things to different people, I find... Uh, to be, you know, unworthy of my, of my, of my confidence. Because, you know, that's, that's quicksand. And of course, you know this, of course, to be true, even, you know, socially, right? You have a friend that, you know, has, acts differently around you than, than he does around other people. That's, of course, not going to be something that's going to build your confidence in that friendship. The same is, of course, true for politicians. And so, you know, he, he's desperate to say, well, Trump was, a, I would say he was a good president somewhere. He said he was a great president, then he, and then he issued a retraction later. It's just frustrating. But is Lombardo going to be better than Sisolak? Absolutely. No question about it. Does he have my vote and even my endorsement? Yes. Uh, I wish, I, I wish, you know, I just wish he would be a little more consistent. So this debate, I think, went about as well as, as could be. And, and of course... It all goes in line with what, um, you know, what, what the Times has said here about the, the, the headwinds changing. And I want to talk about that because Nevada is a bellwether state. We are a purple state, so we're told. Uh, Sam Nash, purple colors, too, on our billboards uh, because, you know, we don't all have to agree to get along and work together. But it is... Um, I will say this, I look at this and I, I, I've got to read a couple of parts to this piece because it's encouraging, friends. I always want to be optimistic and I, I think that this election may, uh, may end up turning out to be okay. Uh, maybe not great, but not terrible uh, for getting this country back on track. I look forward to it. All right, got to take a quick break. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. <laughs> All right, speaking of flip-floppers, I know I was a little hard on Lombardo, but I, I have to now bring it over to Texas. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here on News Talk 840 KXNT. So, yes, uh, Beto, Beto, whatever his name is, running for governor of Texas, uh, all the celebrities nationwide lining up uh, to support him. And he himself, this is exactly, folks, what you don't do as a politician is talk backwards. Here is a montage that we put together of 
Beto saying different things about defund the police, basically back to back. Do you support measures to defund police? You have 60 seconds. Of course I don't, and, and no one does. I, I really love that uh, Black Lives Matters and uh, other protesters have put this front and center to defund, and then also in, in some necessary cases, completely dismantling those police forces and rebuilding them. And I think the, the city council in Minneapolis made the right decision. You, you, you don't have one bad apple. You don't have four bad apples. You, you have a, a system-wide problem in that police department and only by completely dismantling that system and rebuilding it intentionally with the community members at the table. Do you have any hope of, of getting it right? This is, yeah. So yeah, but by the way, we're, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're absolutely stoked that the city of Minneapolis disbanded its entire police department because of systemic racism. Uh, but then at the same time, uh, well, now I, you know, we're up against the clock and we have crime running rampant out of control and I can't go out there and say I believe in defund the police. Can you imagine? You're a voter in Texas. You could end up with a governor who, who has openly supported defunding police. I mean, frightening. Now, it's funny because, of course, one of the components of the debate here uh, between Lombardo and Governor Sisolak consisted of a conversation about crime, which is one of the things that voters are now, you know, and I mentioned this earlier in my opening monologue, but voters are absolutely, well, they're, they're noticing that crime is a problem. And, you know, it's one of the things that's being cited here in this news story. Democrats' troubles in Nevada are a microcosm of nationwide headwinds, um, uh, including, of course, worries over inflation and the economy that are hitting, you know, working class folks. And by the way, you know, again, lower income individuals likely the target of crime far more than, than higher income individuals. You know, if you've got the money, you live in a gated neighborhood. It, it's not a promise of no crime, but it's going to reduce crime. But if you, you know, you live on the east side of town, you're, you're getting hit by this. So Lombardo talks about, you know, how thresh, uh, thresholds for larceny charges have gone up from $900 to $1,200, that it's, you know, led to an increase in a 70% increase in those types of crimes. Talking about prosecutions for first-time offenses for stolen vehicles, at a 22% up, you know. And then uh, my favorite part is Ralston, of course, asks Sisolak in the debate that, you know, hey, you once said that Joe Lombardo was the best sheriff in the country. Remember that? What changed? <laughs> Sisolak answered, he changed when he suddenly saw a political opportunity, and this is his vehicle to climb the political ladder. Jeez, I know what changed. Steve, he challenged you, and you don't like it. You know, I, I've, I've maintained from the beginning. I moved to the state, and I, I, I moved here right after Sisolak was elected. I, I knew we have some friends in common, and I was told he was a very level-headed, even-killed guy that actually not pretty conservative, actually, for a Democrat. And I, you know, somebody even told me he was, early on, he was a Republican and switched to Democratic Party for 
the political benefits, and we'll leave it at that. So I thought, all right, well, compared to, of course, that idiot Newsom, whose state I, you know, happily left behind, I thought, you know, this is, this is going to be good. And then came COVID. And I have to say that I, th- th- no greater idiot existed in the country than Sisolak. I mean, he couldn't even, at least Gavin Newsom knew what he believed and was willing to go and pursue it. Sisolak followed his every move and then listlessly avoided and ignored brilliant advice from a series of high-level executives who are wildly more competent and intelligent than him, who had plans for reopening, and he just... He just poo-pooed those and, and waited and relied on his experts. This guy, this guy shouldn't be dog catcher, let alone governor of the great state of Nevada. So, you know, uh, you know I, I really hope Lombardo carries this through and forgive me for my criticism of his flip-flopping because I do think he, um, he needs to tighten that up, but I certainly would hope that he is able to see this through the end. All right, uh, time to go. If you missed any portion of the show, find us on the podcast which you find on Apple Podcast and Spotify, the What's Right show. You'll see my, not my beautiful face, but my face right there on the, um, on the program. And, of course, if you see Ash Watkins around town, wish her a happy birthday because it's her birthday today. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Looking forward. Have a great day.